three simple letters, ESG. But what they stand for can often feel like a complex web of requirements, costly entanglements, and a heavy lift. Even so, nearly 90% of S&P 500 companies are publishing reports about their ESG efforts. I'm Mike Pichenik. On this episode of The Balancing Act, I'm talking to Protivity's Nick McKeon and Elise Morrow-Mason about why ESG should matter to you and your company. McKeon is Protivity's Managing Director of the Chicago office. Morrow Mason is the Associate Director of ESG. Thanks for joining me, guys. Nick, I'll start with you. We know that ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance, but what does that mean in the context of good business? By having an ESG program, what you're really doing is, is encouraging and creating sustainability across your organization, as well as the communities in which you operate in. So for environmental, you know, subjects like climate change and emissions, um, pollution and waste, biodiversity. These are things that you should be hearing more and more in the news and, and, and what companies are starting to report on um, to the public. Um, social, uh, human rights and stakeholders, human capital and workforce, diversity, equity, and inclusion. These should all be very familiar to us. You know, we're hearing them every day at work, uh, quite frankly. And then governance, business ethics and leadership, board structure and composition, um, transparency and reporting. So why is ESG so important to investors and potential customers? It uses a set of factors to measure non-financial impacts. These are things that are not reported in a balance sheet or, or income statement or P&L, uh, but they provide a connection between your business and the world you operate in. There's a lot of money um, that's focused in, in, in this space here right now. But your ESG reporting really provides transparency, better transparency in corporate disclosures. Um, and companies that have ESG programs, they really can help their investors and stakeholders uh, better understand their business risks and what opportunities they have related to social and environmental concerns. You know, customers are being more intentional about where they're buying products and companies that they're supporting and that, that are focused on the sustainability aspect. So having an ESG program creates that potential for increased revenue. So can you implement just one of the pillars and not all of them? People want to do that, right? They, they go for kind of like that low-hanging fruit of like, what can I do tomorrow? And, you know, what I like to tell companies is ESG really shouldn't be an a la carte approach. You really should try to adopt holistically. And that doesn't mean that, you know, the environmental aspect will be your top priority. And that's where that materiality assessment comes into play, because it's not just the workforce that you're looking at. You're looking at all your key stakeholders and what that means for your business. Um, and environmental might actually be third of the three, but it still should be a focus when you're when you're uh, rolling out a program. Okay, I want to focus on the social pillar for a moment. Elise, what role does DEI play in fulfilling your S? Whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, the key element there is inclusion, right? We want to make sure that our workforce is represented, they're seen, um, and they're accounted for. You know, diversity is not only about the demographic percentages that reflect your workforce's visible diversity, which are usually reported as binary, right? White, non-white, male, female. We're missing so many humans in that narrative by, by limiting it to those four areas. So I just want to encourage everybody to rethink how you're talking about and reporting on your workforce diversity. How does employee well-being play a role in fulfilling the social pillar? And can you give us a concrete example of how a company is doing that? Ecolab offers their workforce the home drive 
benefit at, at no cost to their employees and as a family caregiving solution. You know, why this is important in the ESG context is that Ecolab has placed a special emphasis on well-being initiatives. And by rolling out a family caregiving support benefit to their entire workforce at no cost to them, they've seen the impact that investing in employee well-being has had on retention, productivity, and generally the overall health of their organization. Many organizations provide on-site daycare, backup daycare, but what about the portion of your workforce that has grown children, but aging parents? You know, where is their support? Uh, And when it comes to well-being and workforce benefits, you know, try and provide that holistic offering, you know, to the best of your ability, of course. Um, But when the workforce feels supported by having the resources they need to excel at home and at work, they will thrive. Okay, so if and when a company fulfills its ESG initiatives, what are some tips about reporting it to your stakeholders? If it's not newsworthy and it's not accurate, then don't share it externally, right? Not every part of your ESG program needs to be celebrated. So to, to the point of like, is it bonus points? You know, how does this align with, with your consumers and your other key stakeholders? I would say, you know, make sure that whatever you're sharing externally is validated, is audited, and you can stand behind it because greenwashing is real and it's becoming more enforced. And we're going to see, you know, more companies, you know, have, have different challenges on some of the things that they're putting out there. So continue to do the great work. Just really be intentional of how you're sharing it. Well, many thanks to Protivity's Nick Bikian and Elise Morrow-Mason for joining me on this episode of The Balancing Act. For more insights, visit our blog, balancingact.homethrive.com. That's balancingact.homethrive.com. For Home Thrive, I'm Mike Pachenik.